The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. Take your Bible in hand and come with me in the Old Testament to the book of Malachi. The Old Testament book of Malachi. We're going to be studying in a moment Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 10, as we conclude our sermon series on stewardship. You'll remember that we began several weeks ago in our stewardship series by looking at the fact that everything we have belongs to God, that we are simply stewards of His wonderful blessings that He pours into our lives, and He expects us to be good stewards of those blessings. And then uh, we gathered around the Scripture and were reminded that when we come to faith in Christ, each of us is given at least one or more spiritual gifts to use in serving the Lord. And we examined that week on the, the gift of gifts. Then the third installment in our sermon series was the gift of opportunities. We looked at the parable, the talents, and we saw that God always gives his people opportunities to employ their spiritual gift or gifts in service to King Jesus. And we encourage one another to be busy using our spiritual gifts in ministry here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Today we come to the concluding message of that stewardship series, and we finally make our way to discussing finances. Now, you knew this sermon was coming. You knew it had to be a part of the stewardship series, and we finally made our way to Malachi today, where we examine what I call the gift of kingdom financing. What we see in Scripture this morning is truly a gift from the Father. For since the beginning of time, congregations have been trying to discover ways, creative ways, to underwrite financially the ministry of the Bride of Christ. For instance, in the 1700s in the colonies here in America, you might be interested to know that seats were sold in a season ticket capacity, if you will. Now, in our day and age, the back row, those are the prime seats. Those are the 50-yard line seats. But in the 1700s, people wanted to sit up close to the preacher. And so if you had a seat on the first or second row, your, your tickets for that year were assessed at a certain rate, and you paid for the honor of coming to God's house and sitting in your reserved seat. That's how colonies did it in the 1700s. Well, there are denominations today that assess annual dues. At the beginning of the year, you fill out a financial disclosure form and you're placed in a financial bracket and based upon that sliding bracket, you're assessed an annual due that you need to pay to the church in order to be a part of the life of the bride of Christ. We Baptists, and we Baptists are sometimes more creative than that. We've, we've used bake sales, and we've used barbecues, and we've used bazaars to try to figure out how do we underwrite the ministry of the church. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, our Heavenly Father gave us the best strategy thousands of years ago. He placed it in His Word for us to read and understand and listen and to obey. And so this morning, we examine what I call the gift of kingdom financing, this wonderful gift that the Father has given us, a perfect strategy 
to underwrite financially all of the ministry of the bride of Christ. Would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word as we read Matthew chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. You follow along reading silently as I read aloud. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Father, we confess to you that as Baptists, we have studied and studied and studied and studied this passage of Scripture before. But Lord, this morning, would you give us fresh insight? Would you give us a new understanding of these words from the Lord of hosts? Father, more than understanding, would you give us submissiveness to the commands we find in Scripture? Would you help us not only to know and understand this passage, would you help us to incorporate the teaching of the morning into our obedient lives? For Father, we thank you today for this wonderful, wonderful strategy that you have given to underwrite the ministry of your bride, the New Testament church. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus, your Son and our precious, strong Savior, we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, we come to this text this morning and we find the Lord speaking to the children of Israel. And as he's speaking to the children of Israel in this passage of Scripture, the Lord begins in verse 8 by noting what we would all consider the unthinkable. You know, there are certain times in life that people do things that we, we scratch our head and say, that's simply unthinkable. How could anyone create in their mind a thought process that would allow them to act in such a way for that behavior, that conduct, that lifestyle is completely unthinkable. Well, the Lord notes that in his words to the children of Israel this morning. Come back to verse 8 with me and let's note this unthinkable act that the Lord charges against the children of Israel. The Lord says in verse 8, will a man rob God? That's unthinkable, amen? That someone would consider robbing the creator, that someone would consider robbing the sovereign of the universe, that someone would consider robbing their Lord. It's even more unthinkable when we take a look at this word rob that God uses in verse 8. Will a man rob God? It's a word that means to take something by force. It's not a word that indicates that someone happens to be looking in a different direction and while their head is turned, you simply take that which belongs to them and doesn't belong to you. No, this, this word is much more violent. This word is much more forceful. It's a word that might bring to thought process for us someone who, who sticks a gun in the back of another and takes by force that which doesn't belong to them. 
God asked a question. He asked a question to his children, the children of Israel, and the answer is unthinkable. Will a man take by force, will a man strong arm the living God of the universe and take from God that which is rightfully his for himself and do it all by force? The unthinkable. And then the Father shows us in the passage, ladies and gentlemen, that the unthinkable is doable. Look back at verse 8. Look what he says to the children of Israel. Will a man rob God? Will a man take by force that which belongs to God? That's a completely unthinkable action. And then God follows with a phrase that says the unthinkable is doable. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. God asked this rhetorical question, is it possible that a man will take by force from God that which belongs to the Lord? And, and that unthinkable action is doable when God says, yet you are robbing me. The children of Israel are robbing me. The word robbing that's used there in that verse of scripture is written, uh, Hebrew scholars tell us in the present tense, which means this, ladies and gentlemen, as God is asking the question, the children of Israel are robbing him. He's literally asking the question, will a man rob God? And in the same seconds in which he's asking this question, the children of Israel are doing that which is unthinkable. They are doing the unthinkable by robbing God even as he asks his question. But the children of Israel are confused. They're not sure how they're robbing God. They're not sure how they're doing the unthinkable. So come back to verse 8 and look what they ask of the Father. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how? How have we robbed you? Lord, how have we taken by force that which belongs to you? How, as you're speaking to us, are we in the present tense action of robbing you even as you speak? And look what God says at the end of the verse. In tithes and offerings. The word tithes is written there, literally says the tithes. There's a definite article in the language of the Hebrew, the tithes. God says you are, are robbing me with the tithes. Well, what tithes is God speaking of? Well, we go back to Leviticus. It's the tithes that God commands of his people. Look with me on the screen at this passage from Leviticus. From the early pages of the Old Testament, thus all the tithe of the land, of the seed of the land, or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. For every tenth part of herd or flock, whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the sons of Israel out Mount Sinai. You understand the children of Israel are in an agrarian society. And so this passage of Scripture deals with the proceeds, if you will, the profit, if you will, of an agricultural climate. God says to the children of Israel, a tenth of the seed, a tenth of the produce, a tenth of your flock, a tenth of your herd, the tenth belongs to me, God says. In Malachi chapter 3, God 
says to the children of Israel, you are robbing me because you are withholding the tenth of your income that I've commanded you return to me because it is mine. Not just in tithes, but look at the other word the Lord uses. It's the word offerings. Uh, look with me at Deuteronomy on the screen. Let's see where God commanded offerings be given unto him. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. The Lord says in Deuteronomy, not only does the tithe belong to me, but the Lord says there are offerings that I expect you to give to me out of a sense of love and appreciation. He names some of those, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithe, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings. Ladies and gentlemen, you study the Old Testament and what you discover is, is God commands that we return to him a tithe of everything he blesses us with financially. And on top of that, we are to bring offerings expressing our appreciation and love and worship to him. Now I know what someone in this room is thinking. Yes, but those are Old Testament concepts, Chuck. I mean, when you talk about the tithe and you talk about giving offerings unto the Lord, that's Old Testament teaching. Well, come with me to the New Testament. Come with me to the book of Matthew. Come with me to the very words of Jesus Christ himself. Look what Jesus says to the scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now, don't miss that phrase. You tithe mint and dill and cumin. Mint and dill and cumin were the most insignificant spices of the first century. The Lord says to the Pharisees, you, you are so meticulous in following religious rules and regulations that you even faithfully tithe the very most uh, insignificant spices of your day. Now he's going to chastise them in the next phrase. Look at the verse. And you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So the Lord is chastising the Pharisees. You are neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. But look at the last phrase. The last phrase ties it all together. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. The Lord says to the Pharisees, you should practice justice. You should practice mercy. You should practice faithfulness. You're not. I condemn that you're not. You should practice. That should be a part of your life. But look at the last phrase again. Without neglecting the others. What others has he just mentioned in the verse? The tithing of mint and cumin and dill. So the Lord says to us, justice and mercy and faithfulness must be a part of our lifestyle. But we must also be so obedient to the teachings of the Old Testament that we do not neglect even tithing the most insignificant things of value in our lives. And ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today, we have turned a blind eye to the command of the Lord to be tithers of our income. 
and we've turned a blind eye to the commandment of the Lord to return to him offerings that show our appreciation for all he does to us. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. You've been wondering why in the world does he have apples across the Lord's Supper table this morning? I told some of the children before the service started that were asking I planned to preach so long I would need a snack right in the middle. (laughs) There may be more truth to that than you imagine. Here's how most of us approach tithing in this day and age. If you'll let these 10 apples just um, reflect your monthly income, just set aside your, your pay package and your benefit package and, and just assume you're back in the first century or you're back in Old Testament days living in an agricultural society and, and this month you, you have produced 10 apples. Here's how most of us look at tithing today. This is how most of us are in the process of robbing God even on this morning. We take a look at our housing costs, our mortgage, our homeowner's insurance, our electricity bill, and and we immediately set aside the money we need to take care of all of those responsibilities, and and that wipes out a good 30-plus percentage of our income. And then there's a car payment that has insurance and gasoline and upkeep to our car, and And that takes a slice out of our income. And and then there are groceries that we need to to take care of. And if you have teenagers in the house, you're going to need at least one other apple to take care of the groceries for those teenagers. And then there are going to be some medical bills and other living expenses that simply come your way. That's just a part of life. And eventually, you get down to where you've, you've paid all of your bills. And here's your tithe. And here's what happens in too many homes of those who are even active in the church. You have your tithe and and your buddy who works in the cubicle next to you says, I have tickets to the North Carolina Duke basketball game. I can't use them, but I'm going to let you have them at price, face value. I've always wanted to see Carolina Duke. I mean, that's the game of the year. So you take part of that tithe and you buy those tickets. Then Junior comes home from school. Junior says to you, I was at soccer practice today and my cleats blew out. And and he holds up his cleats and there it is. It's just obliterated. There's no way he can practice and play soccer with those cleats. And he says to you, I need a new pair of cleats. And so what do you do? You take him down to the sporting goods store and you buy him a new pair of cleats. He has to have a new pair of cleats. And then what happens? Then your husband, because of his job and the people he interacts with day in and day out, he picks up that flu that's going around. I mean, he's in the bed. You've gone to the doctor and with the doctor there's a copay. And then you go to the pharmacy to buy buy the Tamiflu. He has to have the medicine. You don't have a choice. And you know what happens? 
unexpectedly, the microwave breaks down. And ladies today cannot cook supper without a microwave. And you take another bite of the apple. And what happens is, ladies and gentlemen, we nibble away at God's tithe. And eventually, we get to the place where when we give our offering on Sunday morning, we return to the Lord the equivalent of an apple core. Not a tithe, a tip. Not the 10% that he has commanded in his word. But that which is simply left over at the end of the month. And we have the audacity, while we are robbing God by force, to think that he is satisfied with an apple core from us. Will a man rob God? You're robbing me. Now I know what someone is thinking in this room. First of all, you're thinking, I wish I had one of those apples. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, Chuck, you don't know my financial situation. You don't know how tight it is at my house. You don't know how we've had to tighten our financial belt and tighten our financial belt. I, I don't see any possible way that I can do more than I'm doing right now. I, have, I see no possible way that I could give a full 10% of my income back to the church. Ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me just recommend a resource to you. If that's your story this morning, that financially things are so tight, you don't see any way you can be obedient unto the Lord when it comes to tithing, buy you a copy of The Total Money Makeover written by Dave Ramsey. This book will help you put the basic structure you need in your financial life. It will put you on a course to where maybe not next week, maybe, maybe not in December, but eventually you'll, you'll be able to have your financial house in order where the tithe becomes a natural part of your worship experience. I want you to know I believe in this, this resource so strongly. This past weekend, I gave a copy to my 32-year-old son. I gave a copy to my 30-year-old daughter. Why? Because I want them to have their financial life in order so that they are obedient unto their Lord. The unthinkable is doable. And in this room, some of us today are guilty. Well, let's come back to the text and see what else the text happens to say. The text then tells us that the, the doable, don't miss this, the doable is punishable. If we're, if we're living like this, if we're forcefully taking from God that which belongs to him, if we're returning to the Lord only a, a core of the apple of our income, the doable is punishable. Look back at the text. Look with me, verse 9. These are the words of the Sovereign Lord. You are cursed with a curse. The, the second word curse that's used there, you are cursed with a curse, means to curse bitterly. 
It doesn't mean that I'm mildly displeased with you. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm mad with you. It means you are cursed bitterly. The children of Israel asked the natural question, why? Why, why are, are we being cursed? Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse because you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The doable is punishable. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, don't miss this. When we live our financial life like this, we have no right to ask the Father to bless us because we're living in disobedience. When a church family lives her financial life in this state, it has no right to ask the Father to put his hands of blessings upon that family of faith. The Word says when we live this way, we're not just cursed, we're cursed bitterly. The doable is punishable. But here comes the good news in this passage of Scripture. It's not all gloom and doom. I want you to see that the punishment is removable. If you're living like this financially, returning to the Father a core of your financial tithe, that's punishable, but the punishment can be removed. Look with me, if you will, verse 10. Bring. The word bring there is, is written, ladies and gentlemen, as a command. The implication is I want you to stop what you are doing and I want you to start doing something else. I, I want you to stop not bringing your tithe to me and I command you to start bringing your tithe to me is what the Lord is saying. Bring the whole tithe, not, not a portion of the tithe, not 9%, not 8%, not 6%. Bring the whole tithe. Then he says into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? In Old Testament days, the temple and the synagogues had storehouses. Storehouses were rooms where when the people brought uh, the tenth of their produce and a people brought a tenth of their herds, that was placed in the storehouse. From the storehouse, the priest and the families of the priest would draw their quota, if you will, in order to feed their families. It was the way in the Old Testament that ministry was underwritten. People brought their tithe, the tithe was placed in the storehouse, and the priests who were ministering to the children of Israel would go to the storehouse to draw their rations, if you will, to feed themselves and their families. The storehouse in modern day was the checking account of the local church. It's where the tithes were placed so that when financial needs arose in ministry, there could be a check written, if you will, so that the church could conduct her ministry. The Lord says, if you want to remove the punishment, the wicked, bitter curse that comes by failing to give the tithe, then bring the whole tithe, all 10%, to the storehouse, to the checking account of the church, if you will, so that checks can be written for the ministry of the church to take place. Now listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. This past week, we discussed the 2020 budget for Emanuel Baptist Church. And I want you to hear me commend the Stewardship Committee for doing what I think is an excellent job in a very difficult situation. 
I thank our stewardship committee for increasing our cooperative program giving. I thank our stewardship committee for creating uh, some additional money for local outreach in the community around us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking those bold steps. But I want you to hear this statistic. If you look at our budget for 2020, only 2.01% is budgeted for local ministry. Let that sink in for a moment. 2.01% budgeted for local ministry. When that figure was said in the meeting between the deacons and the board as we were reviewing the recommendation, it, it, it kind of rocked my world. And I, I stopped and said, Perry, would you be kind enough to repeat that? And he said, 2.01% for local ministry. And then one of our deacons spoke wisdom. He said, and I quote, at Emmanuel Baptist Church, we don't have a spending problem. We have a giving problem. It's not a spending problem. It's not that the church is wasteful in her spending. It's not that the church is lavish in her spending. It's not that the church has her priorities confused, perhaps, in her spending. It's not a spending problem. It's a giving problem. Too many of us are returning to the Lord a portion of the tithe and because we're returning a portion of the tithe, the storehouse is empty when it's time to do ministry. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because the national average for a normal Christian family, you remember where we started our series? The average Christian family gives 2.5% of their income to the church. 2.5%. Ladies and gentlemen, I would have to eat more apple to get down to 2.5% this morning. But if we are average, if my household is average, if your household is average, 2.5%. The Lord says, I command a tithe. We can understand the Lord commanding us to return to him a tithe if we understand where we began this series to begin with. He gave us 100% to start with. And he simply asked for us to return a tithe as an act of worship. The unthinkable is doable. The doable is punishable. The punishment is removable if we'll bring the tithe back to the storehouse. One last thing I want you to see. It is the crowning moment of this text. And God, God is testable. Come back and look at verse 10 with me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. Don't, don't miss that, ladies and gentlemen. It is the only place in Scripture that I'm aware of where God says, you put me to the test. Go ahead and put me to the test. The word test that's used there is, comes from the world of the silversmith and the goldsmith. It means to test metal, to see if it's strong, to see if it's pure. Test me. God says, test me like you test metal. Look what God says he'll do. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. The word pour in verse 10 means to pour until it's empty. Can you visualize with me? It's as if the Lord has a, a pitcher of water in his hand and you have an empty glass and the Lord says, just test me. Put, put your glass over my pitcher and see if I won't just continue to pour out blessings until not your glass is half full, not your glass is filled to the rim, but that your glass overflows with cool, fresh, clean water. Lord says, test me. Bring your tithe, be obedient to me, and return it to me as I command you to do, and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour into your life, not till your life is half full with blessings, not till your life is filled to the rim with blessings, but until your life overflows with blessings. Here's what I'm trying to say this morning, ladies and gentlemen, because this is what the text says. Ultimately, tithing is not a financial issue. Ultimately, tithing is a faith issue. Do we have the faith that God will keep his promise of verse 10? If you're here this morning and your family has not been practicing tithing, don't live under that bitter curse. Be begin to be obedient to the command of the Lord and watch the Father keep his promise. It's not do I have enough money to tithe, it is do I have enough faith to tithe. Will God keep the promise he makes me in Malachi 3.10? To open the windows of heaven. I don't know what that means, but I know it sounds good. Amen? I mean, there's a place that I want to be open so that all of the blessings flow into my life. It's the windows of heaven. Does that mean I'm blessed with good health? Maybe. Does it mean I'm blessed with wonderful family relationships? Perhaps. Does it mean that I'm blessed with a, a promotion? Who knows? I just know that I want all of the blessings of heaven that I can get into my life. And the Lord says, opening the window begins with the tithe. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're talking this morning about kingdom financing. Kingdom financing is important because the ministries of this church are important. But kingdom financing always begins in the very first place by a heart that's already been surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. We, we can't practice tithing unless first we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because in knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior, He changes our priorities. He, he changes our desires. He helps us to put our life in order where tithing becomes a possibility. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I invite you to come with me in your mind to the cross. To look upon that center cross this morning and to see the Lord Jesus Christ bleeding and suffering and dying for your sin and mine. 
And I invite you today to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life, and to take control of your life. If that is the desire you have this morning for Jesus to come into your life and take control as Lord, would you be willing to come in this next moment as we stand to sing? I'll be here to receive you and pray with you and to help you voice a prayer to the Lord to surrender your life to him. Maybe your church membership is somewhere else and God is leading you and your family to become a part of the Emmanuel family. Would you come this morning and just say, Chuck, my family and I, we want to join Emmanuel. We'll handle all the details. If you'll come, we'll celebrate with you. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you just need to bow your head as we stand and sing in a moment and you just need to simply say, Lord, the Spirit's willing to this point, the flesh has been weak. Help me to become obedient with the tithe so that the windows of heaven might pour into my life and I might stand in obedience before you. Father, would you speak to your people? May your people respond to your voice. And may it all be to your glory today, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.